Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Truth with Susie Ann. And this is your host, Susie Ann. Okay, so we're going to launch a special series about ornamentation. Now, ornamentation means, well, ornament, sorry, means something used to beautify, make more attractive by adding ornament, color, etc. And um, the word ornamental means serving as aesthetic rather than a useful purpose. And what I see in a lot of cultures in all these churches today, especially uh, in America, is that we don't change when we actually say we start to serve Yahuwah. I mean, we look the same as everybody else. We're still in the hair, the makeup, you know all the jewelry and you know everything that just goes against the same savior that we claim to serve i mean we know it's not like we don't know what they used to wear i mean they made so many when i when i was growing up i saw so many shows that they made about jesus right and the hebrew people and none of them wore what we were wearing today and look in Malachi 3, Yahuwah says, I am Yahuwah and I change not. So if he doesn't change, why are we changing? We are only doing things to hurt ourselves and to separate ourselves from Elohim. He says that his ear is not short. You know? His ear is not heavy, sorry, and his hand is not short. But our iniquity is separating us from our Elohim. And when we see that in the Bible, I don't know why it doesn't stir us up in our hearts to wonder and try to find out what is it, what is our idol? What is it that is is, is standing between us and our Elohim? As the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, it says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of Yah. Having a form of holiness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth now there's a different version of this in the amplified bible let me look that up for you give me a moment here 
Now, I am going to start from... Verse 6. It says here, For among them are those who worm their way into homes and captivate silly and weak-natured and spiritually dwarfed women, loaded down with the burden of their sins and easily swayed and led away by various evil desires and seductive impulses. That's what most women in this world are doing right now. Because when we talk about vanity, the person that fights this doctrine is not the men. It's always the women. They are the ones standing up against themselves because they're not standing up against the doctrine. They're not standing up against you who are speaking the doctrine. They're standing up against the doctrine, which in turn means that they're standing up against themselves. In the NLT version of the same verse, it says, They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by many desires. So we are controlled by our desire to do what we want, to beautify ourselves instead of being used by Yahuwah to fulfill an important purpose. Our important purpose is not to be an ornament, not to just stick around and look pretty. If that's the only thing we're good for in the house of Elohim, then we are good for nothing. Because all of this is going to pass away. So we're going to get into the ornamentation series and I'm going to go through the history, the health risk, and what the Bible says about each and every piece of, um, or, or form rather, of a vanity that we love so much. So I hope you stay tuned. So this podcast will be focusing on for this for this specific podcast. It will be focusing on jewelry. So as I said, it will be going through the history, the health risks, and what the Bible has to say about vanity. Now, let me read about the history of jewelry. So the history of jewelry is long and goes back many years with many different uses among different cultures. It has endured for thousands of years and has provided various insights into how Asian cultures worked. The word jewelry itself is derived from the word jewel, which was anglicized from the old French jewel, that's J-O-U-E-L, and beyond that to the Latin word jocale, which is J-O-C-A-L-E, meaning plaything. In British English, Indian English, New Zealand English, Hiberno-English, Australian English, and South African English, it is spelled J-E-W-E-L-L-E-R-Y. 
while the spelling is J-E-W-E-L-R-Y in American English. Both are used in Canadian English, though jewelry, with the one L, prevails by a two-to-one margin. In French and a few other European languages, the equivalent term jewelry, which is spelled J-O-A-I-L-L-E-R-I-E, may also cover decorated metalwork in precious metals such as objects, objects d-art and church items not just objects worn on the person now don't get scared because i'm reading about the history of these things because we all know that if we don't know where we're coming from we don't know where we're going and it is very very important for you to understand the origin of these things and realize that they did not originate with our people and what we're following is not even ours to follow, but coming from other pagan nations. And the first pagan nation that I'm going to mention is Egypt. The first signs of established jewelry making in ancient Egypt was around 3,000 to 5,000 years ago. So there's like they're the first people to be making jewelry. The Egyptians preferred the luxury, rarity, and workability of gold over other metals. In pre-dynastic Egypt, jewelry soon began to symbolize political and religious power in the community. Although it was worn by wealthy Egyptians in life, it was also worn by them in death, with jewelry commonly placed among grave goods. In conjunction with gold jewelry, Egyptians used colored glass along with semi-precious gems. The color of the jewelry had significance. Green, for example, symbolized fertility, lapis lazuli, and silver had to be imported from beyond the country's borders. Egyptian signs, Egyptian designs were most common in Phoenician jewelry. Also, ancient Turkish designs found in Persian jewelry suggest that trade between the Middle East and Europe was not uncommon. Women wore elaborate gold and silver pieces that were used in ceremonies. Europe and the Middle East In Mesopotamia, by approximately 5,000 years ago, jewelry making had become a significant craft in the cities of Mesopotamia. The most significant archaeological evidence came from the Royal Cemetery of Ur, where hundreds of burials dating 2,900 to 2,300 BC were unearthed. Tombs such as that of Puobai contained a multitude of artifacts in gold, silver, and semi-precious stones such as lapis lazuli crowns, embellished with gold figurines, close-fitting collar necklaces, and jewel-headed pins. In Assyria, men and women both wore extensive amounts of jewelry including amulets, ankle bracelets, heavy multi-strand necklaces, and cylinder seals. Jewelry in Mesopotamia tended to be manufactured from thin metal leaf and was set with large numbers of brightly colored stones, chiefly agate, lapis, carnelian, and jasper. 
Favored shapes included leaves, spirals, cones, and bunches of grapes. Jewelers created works both for human use and for adorning statues and idols. They employed a wide variety of sophisticated metalworking techniques such as clouzoing, engraving, fine granulation, and filigree. Greece The Greeks started using gold and gems in jewelry in 1600 BC. Although beads shaped as shells and animals were produced widely in earlier times. Around 1500 BC, the main techniques of working gold in Greece included casting, twisting bars, and making wire. Many of these sophisticated techniques were popular in the Mycenaean period, but unfortunately this skill was lost at the end of the Bronze Age. The forms and shapes of jewelry in ancient Greece such as the arm ring, 13th century BC, the brooch, 10th century BC, and pins, 7th century BC, have, have varied widely since the Bronze Age as well. Other forms of jewelry include wreaths, earrings, necklace, and bracelets. Jewelry in Greece was hardly worn and was mostly used for public appearances or on special occasions. It was frequently given as a gift and was predominantly worn by women to show their wealth, social status, and beauty. The jewelry was often supposed to give the wearer protection from the evil eye or endowed the owner with supernatural powers while others had a religious symbolism. Older pieces of jewelry that have been found were dedicated to the gods. I hope you're still with me. Now, going to another nation. This is um, Etruscan. Hopefully I call that correctly. So, gorgons, pomegranates, acorns, lotus flowers, and palms were a clear indicator of Greek influence in Etruscan jewelry. The modeling of heads, which was a typical practice from the Greek severe period, was a technique that spread throughout the Etruscan territory. And even clearer evidence of new influences is the shape introduced in the orientalizing era, the boule. A pear-shaped vessel used to hold perfume. Its surface was usually decorated with repose and engraved symbolic figures. Much of the jewelry found was not worn by Etruscans, but were made to accompany them in the afterworld. Most, if not all, techniques of Etruscans goldsmiths were not invented by them as they are dated to the 3rd millennium BC. Although jewelry work was abundantly diverse in earlier times, especially among the barbarian tribes such as the Celts when the Romans conquered most of Europe, jewelry was changed as smaller factions developed the Roman designs. The most common artifact of early Rome was the brooch, 
which was used to secure clothing together. The Romans used a diverse range of materials for their jewelry from their extensive resources across the continent. Like the Greeks, often the purpose of Roman jewelry was to ward off the evil eye given by other people. Although women wore a vast array of jewelry, men often only wore a finger ring. Although they were expected to wear at least one ring, some Roman men wore a ring on every finger, while others wore none. Roman men and women wore rings with an engraved gem on it that was used with wax to seal documents, a practice that continued into medieval times when kings and noblemen used the same method. After the fall of the Roman Empire, the jewelry designs were absorbed by neighboring countries and tribes. 18th century Romanticism Renaissance Starting in the late 18th century, Romanticism had a profound impact on the development of Western jewelry. Perhaps the most significant influences were the public's fascination with the treasures being discovered through the birth of modern archaeology and the fascination with medieval and Renaissance art. Changing social conditions and the onset of industrial revolution also led to a growth of middle class that wanted and could afford jewelry. In the United States, this period saw the founding in 1837 of Tiffany & Company by Charles Louis Tiffany. This period also saw the first major collaboration between East and West, collaboration in Forzim between German and Japanese artists led to shakudo plaques set in filigree frames being created by the Stoffler firm in 1885. I hope I'm calling these right. I, I doubt I am, though. Many whimsical fashions are introduced in the extravagant 18th century. Cameos that were used in the connection with jewelry were the attractive trinkets along with many of the small objects such as brooches, earrings, and scarf pins. Some of the necklets were made of several pieces joined with golden gold chains wherein and bracelets were also made sometimes to match the necklet and the brooch. At the end of the century, the jewelry with cut steel intermixed with large crystals was introduced by an Englishman, Matthew Bolton of Birmingham. Now moving on to Asia. In Asia, the Indian subcontinent was the longest continuously legacy of jewelry making anywhere. Here it says there's a citation needed. With a history of over 5,000 years. One of the first to start jewelry making were the peoples of the Indus Valley Civilization in what is now predominantly modern-day Pakistan and part of northern and western India. Early jewelry making in China Started around the same period but it became widespread with the spread of Buddhism around 2000 years ago. China the Chinese used silver in their jewelry more than gold. Blue kingfisher feathers were tied onto 
early Chinese jewelry and later blue gems and glass were incorporated into designs. However, jade was preferred over any other stone. The Chinese revered jade because of the human-like qualities they assigned to it, such as its hardness, durability, and beauty. The first jade pieces were very simple, but as time progressed, more complex designs evolved. Jade rings from between the 4th and 7th century BC show evidence of having been worked with a compound milling machine hundreds of years before the first mention of such equipment in the West. In China, the most uncommon piece of jewelry is the earring, which was worn neither by men nor women. In modern times, earrings are still considered culturally taboo for men in China. In fact, in 2019, the Chinese video streaming service, Aichie, began blurring the ears of male actors wearing earrings. Amulets were common, often with a Chinese symbol or dragon. Dragons, Chinese symbols, and phoenixes were frequently depicted on jewelry designs. The Chinese often place their jewelry in their graves. Most Chinese graves found by archaeologists contain decorative jewelry. In India, according to Hindu belief, gold and silver are considered as sacred metals. Gold is symbolic of the warm sun, while silver suggests the cool moon. Both are quintessential metals of Indian jewelry. Pure gold does not oxidize or corrode with time, which is why Hindu tradition associates gold with immorality. Did I just say immorality? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, immortality. Gold imagery occurs frequently in ancient Indian literature. In the Vedic Hindu belief of cosmological creation, the source of physical and spiritual human life originated in and evolved from a golden womb. That's called a Hiran. Let me see if I can say this. Hiran Yagarbha. Yeah. Or egg. Hiran Yanda. A metaphor of the sun whose light rises from the primordial waters. Jewelry had great status with India's royalty. It was so powerful that they established laws limiting wearing of jewelry to royalty. Only royalty and a few others to whom they granted permission could wear gold ornaments on their feet. This would normally be considered breaking the appreciation of the sacred metals. Even though the majority of the Indian population wore jewelry, Maharajas and people related to royalty had a deeper connection with jewelry. The Maharaja's role was so important that the Hindu philosophers identified him as essential as central to the smooth working of the world. He was considered as a divine being, a deity in human form, whose duty was to uphold and protect Dharma, the moral order of the universe. Navaratna which means nine gems, is a powerful jewel frequently worn by Maharaja, emperor. It is an amulet that comprises diamond, pearl, 
ruby, sapphire, emerald, topaz, cat's eye, coral, and hyacinth. That's red turquoise. Each of these stones is associated with a celestial deity, representing the totality of the Hindu universe when all nine gems are together. The diamond is the most powerful gem among the nine stones. There were various cuts for the gemstone. Indian kings bought gemstones privately from the sellers. Maharaja and the other royal family members value gem as a Hindu god. They exchanged the gems with people to whom they were very close, especially the royal family members and other intimate allies. India was the first country to mine diamonds, with some mines dating back to 296 BC. India traded the diamonds, realizing their valuable qualities. Historically, diamonds have been given to retain or regain a lover's or ruler's lost favor as diamonds of tribute or as an expression of fidelity in exchange for concessions and protection. Mughal emperors and kings used the diamonds as a means of assuring their immortality by having their names and worldly titles inscribed upon them. North America Jewelry played a major role in the fate of the Americas when the Spanish established an empire to seize South American gold. Jewelry making developed in the Americas 5,000 years ago in the Central and South America. Large amounts of gold was easily accessible and the Aztecs, Mixtecs, Mayans, and numerous Andean cultures such as Mochica of Peru created beautiful pieces of jewelry. Now, body modification. Jewelry used in body modification can be simple and plain or dramatic and extreme. The use of simple silver studs, rings, and earrings predominates. Common jewelry pieces such as earrings are a form of body modification. I'm not going to read that again. Common jewelry pieces such as earrings are a form of body modification. And even though they're going to talk about changing the shape of your body or whatever, we should understand that in order for earrings to go in, we have to actually cut our flesh. That is indeed a body modification because we're going to put a hole in our flesh that wasn't initially there. Just letting you know. So common jewelry pieces such as earrings are a form of body modifications as they are accommodated by creating a small hole in the ear. Padang women in Myanmar place large golden rings around their necks. From as early as five years old, girls are introduced to their first neck ring. Over the years, more rings are added. In addition to the 20 plus pounds of rings on her neck, a woman will also wear just as many rings on her calves. At their extent, some necks modified like this can reach 10 to 5, 10 to 15 in 25 to 38 centimeters long. The practice has health impacts. 
and has in recent years declined from cultural norm to tourist curiosity. Tribes related to the Padang or Paduang, as well as other cultures throughout the world, use jewelry to stretch their earlobes or enlarge ear piercings. In the Americas, labrets have been worn since before first contact by Innu and First Nations people, peoples of the Northwest Coast. Lip plates are worn by the African Mercy and Sarah people, as well as some South American peoples. In the late 20th century, the influence of modern primitivism, primitivism, <laughs> okay, let me say this again, primitivism, yes, led to many of these practices being incorporated into Western subcultures. Many of these practices rely on a combination of body modification and decorative objects, thus keeping the distinction between these two types of decoration blurred. In many cultures, jewelry is used as a temporary body modifier, in some cases with hooks or other objects being placed into the recipient's skin. Ugh. Although this procedure is often carried out by tribal or semi-tribal groups, often acting under a trance during religious ceremonies, this practice has seeped into Western culture. Are you listening? Many extreme jewelry shops now cater to people wanting large hooks or spikes set in their skin. Most often, these hooks are, all, are used in conjunction with pulleys to hoist the recipient into the air. This practice is said to give an erotic feeling to the person and some couples have even performed their marriage ceremony whilst being suspended by hooks. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps. Modern day. Most modern commercial jewelry continues traditional forms and styles, but designers such as George Jensen have widened the concept of wearable art. The advent of new materials such as plastics, precious metal, clay, PMC, and coloring techniques has led to increased variety in styles. Other advances such as the development of improved pearl harvesting by people such as Mikimoto Kokichi and um, the development of improved quality artificial gemstones such as moissanite, a diamond stimulant, has placed jewelry within the economic grasp of a much larger segment of the population. The jewelry as art movement was spearheaded by artisans such as Robert Lee Morris and continued by designers as Gil Forsbrook in the UK. Influence from other cultural forms is also evident. One example of this bling bling style jewelry, popularized by hip hop and rap artists in the early 21st century, example grills, a type of jewelry worn over the teeth. The late 20th century saw the blending over European design with oriental techniques such as Mukime Gane or Mukime Gane. The following are innovations in the decades straddling the year 2000. Mukimi gain, hydraulic dye forming, anti-clastic raising, fold forming, reactive metal, anodising, shell forms, PMC, photo etching, and the use of CAD or CAM, camera cab. 
Also, 3D printing as a production technique gains more and more importance with a variety of services offering this production method jewelry design becomes accessible to a growing number of creatives. Um, what I want to actually add, and probably might add it later, um, is the, um, the technological jewelry that is now coming out. That should be added. I'll probably get to it later. But for right now, I'm just going to stick to these. Um, last, um, the last ones here are the Masonic jewelry. Freemasonic, Freemasons attach jewels to their detachable collars when in lodge to signify our brother's office held with the lodge. For example, the square represents the master of the lodge and the dove represents the deacon. Since 1937, these Masonic rings have been skillfully handcrafted to the highest quality standards. Specialized crafts, specialized craftsmen work collectively to create each jewelry piece featured online. Um, just to let you know, this this thing that I'm reading is actually from an actual jewelry maker. So this is what he wrote. He said, since 1937, these Masonic rings have been skillfully handcrafted to the highest quality standards. So he says, especially craftsmen, specialized craftsmen work collectively to create each jewelry piece featured online careful attention is paid to styling each detail in order to faithfully recreate the masonic emblems and honor the esteemed accomplishments that they symbolize this masonic jewelry started with creation of an intricate mold cast in 10k plum gold once the ring is cast and assembled our team of experienced craftsmen begin in meticulous process of adding details and finishes. Every ring is hand engraved and ensured the detail relief in the jewelry's emblematic artwork. This is a highly specialized craft perfected by the jewelry over a lifetime. Another precise form of engraving chasing is applied to each emblem to develop important details. Chasing is the actual chilling of small cuts into the emblem for highlighting. The passing of the tool over the metal is referred to as a flash. The jeweler uses different tools to approximately 30 flashes to each 32nd degree double eagle emblem. For many years, enamel finishes have been used to accent, and the jewelry uses a hand applied overbaked enamel to ensure a lustrous and durable finish. And what you should know that most of the Masonic jewelry. Um, not only has um, doves and eagles, but it also has uh, stars. I didn't really read the whole thing because he was just kind of glorifying himself and, and how he made them. Yeah, so they mostly have like stars and, and doves and stuff. So... As I said, I should add later on about, um, I guess, should I say digital um, jewelry or or technological jewelry? Okay, I'm going to add that later. 
But for right now, what we're going to move on to is the health risks of um, jewelry. So that will be the next part. Stick around. I know it's taking a little bit longer than you would have anticipated, but these are all things that we need to know. And thank you for sticking around if you're still here. Okay, so cadmium, that's C-A-D-M-I-U-M, is a silver white metal that is found in the Earth's crust. It is extracted during the production of metals such as copper, lead, and zinc. Cadmium is found in some foods and is emitted by using fossil fuels such as coal and oil, smoking cigarettes, and burning waste. It is used in batteries, craft glazes, and metal coatings. When shopping for jewelry, do you consider what metals, makeup earrings, bracelets, rings, and other shiny items? A report by the Center for Environmental Health, CEH, in California detailed that cadmium was present in numerous jewelry items tested from stores including Ross, Walgreens, and Nordstrom Rack. The amount of cadmium, a toxic heavy metal, ranged from 40 to 100% in the items testing positive. Cadmium in jewelry. Not all that glitters is gold. When shopping for jewelry, do you consider what metals make up earrings, bracelets, rings, and other shiny items? Surprisingly, there are no restrictions on the amount of cadmium allowed in adult jewelry in the United States. There is a limit of 0.03% cadmium in children's jewelry in California, a result of settlement in 2011, after it was found at high levels in jewelry marketed towards preteens. Children are more likely to be exposed to cadmium in jewelry as they might swallow or chew on the metal pieces. The European Commission banned cadmium in all jewelry sold in Europe starting in 2011. Now why is cadmium in jewelry? At some point, cadmium became a popular replacement for lead in jewelry, likely due to an increase in lead restrictions. Cadmium is used to add mass and weight to jewelry and can add a shiny finish. Cadmium has a lower melting point than metals such as zinc, reducing the energy required to melt it into shape. And why is cadmium dangerous? Cadmium is a dangerous heavy metal and a known carcinogen. The Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry, that's ATSDR, lists cadmium as the number seven most significant threat to human health. Based on its frequency, toxicity, and potential for human exposure, cadmium has a half-life in the body around 10 to 30 years, meaning that a single exposure event can stick around for nearly a lifetime. As we age, cadmium body Cadmium body burden sorry, slowly increases. Cadmium primarily targets kidneys and bones, 
but can also be detrimental to reproductive health. Although inhalation is the most dangerous route of exposure, that's 10 to 50% absorption, ingestion, 2.5 to 5% absorption, and dermal, which is 0.5% absorption, exposure are also dangerous, especially at high concentrations. Now, how do I protect myself? There's no simple way to tell if jewelry contains cadmium or not, just by looking at it. Buying jewelry that is made locally or its metal content verified by the retailer can reduce the risk of cadmium exposure, and that's if the retailer actually tells you the truth. Non-metal decorative items such as ceramic, leather, plastic, or fiber can be worn instead. ZRT Laboratory offers two ways to test for exposure to cadmium. Whole blood cadmium is the best indicator of recent exposure, which is months. While urine cadmium is the best indicator of long-term exposure, which is years. Overall, it is best to avoid any exposure to cadmium as it will surely stick around for a long period of time. Think quality over quantity. We recommend investing in pieces that are more versatile and can be worn with multiple outfits. And hey, added bonus, you're doing the earth a favor too by being more sustainable. For children, look into alternatives to metal jewelry. Wooden or silicone beads and twine make, make for an excellent art day and ensure that children have a beautiful necklace or bracelet to wear that doesn't contain cadmium. They will also be pretty excited when they get to say they made their own jewelry. Now, moving on to costume jewelry because we're still on the health risks. CBS News says, although low-cost jewelry might be saving you a buck, it might come at a cost of you and your children's health. The Ecology Center, a Michigan-based nonprofit organization that advocates for a safe and healthy environment, discovered through recently conducted tests that despite strict regulations, many pieces of costume jewelry contain high levels of unsafe chemicals including lead, chromium, and nickel. None of these things are things you want to have your children exposed to. Dr. Kenneth R. Space, Director of the Occupational and Environmental Medicine Center at North Shore University Hospital in Manhasset, New York, who was not involved in the, in the study, told HealthPop. All of these are harmful. Some of them are known to be carcinogenic known to be carcinogens. Many of these are known to be neurotoxic, meaning they can affect brain development. For the center's tests posted on healthystuff.org, researchers took samples of 99 different children's and adult jewelry pieces from 14 different retailers from stores such as Ming 99 City, Burlington Coat Factory, Target, Big Lots, Claire's, Glitter, Forever 21, Walmart, H&M, Meijers, Kohl's, 
justice, icing, and hot topic. Using a tool called an X-ray fluorescence analyzer, they checked for lead, cadmium, chromium, nickel, brominated flame retardants, chlorine, mercury, and arsenic. Samples were collected from Ohio, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, New York, and Vermont. The researchers found that over half of the products had high levels of hazardous chemicals. 27 of the products had greater than 300 ppm lead. The Consumer Product Safety Commission, that's CPSC, lead limit in children products. Chromium and nickel, which often cause allergic reactions, were found in over 90% of items. Cadmium, a toxic metal that has been basis for several jewelry and toy recalls, according to CBS News, was found in 10% of the samples. Now my source is coming from the ZRT laboratory blog and also Theodore Zava and Michelle Castillo from CBS News. Now let's go to the Bible. Now, I'm not going to tell you that jewelry is all evil. Jewelry itself is not evil, just as money is not evil. But I think the love of these things are evil. At first, Yasharal was allowed to wear jewelry. But as time progressed and they became more and more rebellious, these things were taken away from them so as to humble them. And there is no biblical proof to show that they were allowed again to wear these things. After Yashorel was reduced to only the tribe of Yahuda, which is Judah, there were no biblical proof that they were able to wear jewelry again. As it says here in Isaiah 3 verses 16 to 21, it says, Moreover, Yahuwah saith, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty, and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, and making a tinkling with their feet, Therefore, Yahuwah will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion. And Yahuwah will discover their secret parts. In that day, Yahuwah will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet and their calls and their round tires like the moon, the chains and the bracelets and the mufflers, the bonnets and the ornaments of the legs and the headbands and the tablets, and the earrings, the rings, and nose jewels. Now I'm going to give a translation for clarity, um, referencing using the ISV and the BBE Bible translation. So what it's actually saying here is toe rings, anklets, sun jewels, moon ornaments, necklaces, earrings, rings, nose jewels, headdresses, signet rings, which is a seal, which is also known as charm or amulet, sashes, veils, and perfume boxes, which is 
what they refer to as tablet. So we are told here that because of our haughtiness, because when we have on the jewelry, we, we feel high, we are lifted up in pride. We get proud. So the reason why these things were taken away from us is to actually humble us. So again, as I said, money was not the root of all evil, but the love of money was. However, the difference between being able to use money and not being able to wear jewelry is that money is still needed in today's day. It is the medium of which we make trades. So without it, we can't buy or sell. However, we don't need jewelry for anything at all. As the Bible says in Isaiah 55 verses 2, it says, Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good. And let your soul delight itself in fatness. So, what Yahuwah is saying here is that there is greater wisdom in spending our money on things which actually help us. Whether in our day-to-day lives or in our spiritual lives and not to waste our substance so neither working for foolishness or vanity or spending money on foolishness or vanity it says here in jeremiah 4 verses 30 and when thou art spoiled what will thou do though thou closest thy clothest (laughs) thyself with crimson Though thou deckest thee with ornaments of gold, though thou rentest thy face with painting, in vain shalt thou make thyself fair. Thy lovers will despise thee, they will seek thy life. So it says here, even though we are trying to, you know, depend upon the world, the worldly things to attract people to us, to make ourselves look pretty and be the center of attention. It says all of it will turn against us because if he is not at the center of whatever it is that we are doing, then the end of it is actually destruction. He says, however, in 1 Timothy 6 verses 6 to 8, holiness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. In Ezekiel 7 verses 19, it says, They shall cast their silver in the streets, and their gold shall be removed. Their silver and their gold shall not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of Yahuwah. They shall not satisfy their souls, neither fill their bowels, because it is, a, it is the stumbling block of their iniquity. So, let me repeat that. Silver and gold jewelry that we like to wear so much to pretty up ourselves, to make ourselves feel important, to feel great. It says, in the last days... We'll be happy to throw them away. 
because we'll feel disgusted with ourselves. And they will not be able to redeem us when his wrath is released upon this earth. Yahuwah refers to these things that we hold on so tightly to that they are the stumbling block of our iniquity. So that's just something I'm giving you to think about there. If we read the Bible it's in its entirety and read it with understanding, we would know that jewelry was not a part of Hebrew culture. I have heard this many times before, but our forefather who actually had these children, you know, these 12 children to start the 12 tribes of Yasharel, actually spoke against it. In Genesis 35 verses 2 to 4, it says, Then Yaakov, that's Jacob, said unto his household, listen here, and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you. That's the first. And be clean and change your garments and let us arise and go to Bethel. I will make there an altar unto Elohim who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Yaakov all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Yaakov hid them under the oak which was by Sheshem. So you, you realize that the strange gods were aligned with the earrings. So you see there that before they went on their journey to go back to the land which was given to them as an inheritance, they had to remove these things. So it's not, a, not as if it was not there. They had to remove these things. And again, when they were delivered from Egypt, it was the same. In Exodus 33 verses 4 to 6, it says, And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on him his ornaments. For Yahuwah had said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Yasharel, Ye are stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. And the children of Yasharel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. So because of haughtiness, which is high-mindedness and being proud, and because of stiff nakedness that we were commissioned to remove the jewelry. As Paul said, all things are lawful, but not all things are a but but all things are not expedient. And all things are lawful, but all things edify not. So not all things are helpful. 
while it is not something that may necessarily kill you if you wear it however what sort of psychological effect does it have on you as a person how do you feel when you put these things on and how do you feel if you are told not to put these things on and this is the type of soul searching that we need to do if it is a case where we're asked to put away these things is it going to be a fight because a lot of us think that you know nothing is wrong with it i'm not attached to it and you might not feel attached to it while you're still allowed to wear it but what if you were told to give them away what if you were told to sell these jewelry and give the money to the poor which is basically what yahusha told them when he came do you notice they have never asked him they've asked him about everything else in the law but they've never asked him about jewelry it would have been a, a foolish question because he kept telling them sell what you have give it to the poor he never told them to sell what they needed it's the stuff that they didn't need jewelry is not a need however how it can become useful to the people in his kingdom is if we use it as we said to sell it and buy stuff for for the poor give them what they need then it 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 stops becoming about self and it starts becoming about yahuwah it starts becoming about love it starts to serve a purpose and satisfy our souls and redeem us from the great punishment a lot of people will say that this thing does not affect them just just like with addictions they say they can stop if they want to but when they really try to stop that's where the problem begins because some of these jewelry and we don't know this by the way the reason why the jewelry was removed when the strange gods were given is because some jewelry are actually the shapes of the jewelry actually are used in witchcraft they actually represent a false god they actually attract curses unto ourselves and evil spirits and we don't know this i didn't know myself i used to like um certain crescent shaped uh jewelry especially they had these ones now that had like the crescent and there this little stone in the middle that glows in the dark and i thought it was so cute but then i realized afterwards that these things actually had to do with pagan gods and also witchcraft because witches really like um jewelry that has um stars and crescent moons and all of that that's all the jazz for them and funny enough those were especially the crystals that are coming into fashion now all of those have to do with witchcraft and channeling and manifestation and all that all those wickedness 
And those were the things that are coming up as popular now. And they're really cheap. So you realize that Satan has actually set a trap for us through things that we think don't really cause any harm. And we need to check ourselves as to why we are so attracted to certain things in this earth. Because even now that I'm talking, I know there are people who are saying that, okay, then if I'm going to wear jewelry, I'm going to search for um, a sort of symbol that doesn't represent anything bad. The reason why you're going to do such a thorough search is because you have an inordinate affection for jewelry. And you won't admit it, but you do. When we put out so much effort for something that doesn't do anything at all for us, there's a problem with that. If it doesn't add to righteousness, as the Bible says that whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, let it be all done unto the glory of Yahuwah. Let it be all done unto the glory of Yahuwah. Do you know what he used to use to represent his people? It wasn't jewelry, you know. He used to tell them to wear, um, let's say, fringes on their clothes. And they used to put tassels at the corners of their clothes that had strings of blue in it. That's what used to represent his people. Not jewelry. These were on their clothes. So they were easily identifiable. Nobody was going around with a cross on their neck. No, these things were in their clothes. But now we wouldn't want to wear fringes because that's just not fashionable. But it is fashionable to wear um, chains with crosses on it. Because everybody wears it whether they follow him or not. We're not here to be fashionable. We're here to be purposeful. We're here to show purpose in whatever we do. If you're doing what everybody else is doing, nobody's going to be paying attention. Because everybody wears a cross. If you do something out of the ordinary, something from the original, then people will ask, why is this? And then you'll be able to tell them the truth and the truth may set them free. So let us reevaluate why it is that we do the things that we do. Thank you again for tuning in. To check out more or to contact me, you can reach me at Wattpad at Kaleidoscope the Pen or on WordPress at Little Kaleidoscope Girl or on Telegram at Kodeshim Royale or you can email me at Little Kaleidoscope Girl at gmail.com. Thank you and until next time.